You are listening to The Archivist. I'm Jana, and I'm dedicated to preserving the details of crimes that are committed and lives that are lost. This is The Archivist. All right, welcome back to The Archivist. Today, we're going to talk about revenge killing. In 2004, a group of researchers in Switzerland did a study on revenge, and they had the participants of the study play a game of economic exchange. But each of the participants were betrayed by their partner. And I don't know what the game was, but basically they expected the partner to split a pot of money equally. But after the game, they were told that the partner had kept the loot for themselves. And researchers then gave the participants a chance to punish their partner. As each person contemplated punishing the partner or getting revenge, the scientists measured their brain activity. And all of this was done to prove that revenge is sweet. And the decision to punish the betrayer caused a rush of neural activity in the area of the brain that processes rewards. I think the concept is universal and easily understood, and we all recognize that feeling of karmic justice when someone who has wronged us gets what we think they deserve. But where most of us can draw that line of fantasizing about getting revenge at someone who has hurt us or wronged us, we mostly understand that the cost of revenge is actually too high. You lose time, you lose emotion, uh, you know, there's emotional and physical energy, and worst of all, someone's life could be taken. And that's what this story is. So Tammy Lovell was born on September 13th, 1973, Her mom, Patricia, described her as energetic, rambunctious, and strong-willed. She said that Tammy had her own way of doing things. She had a happy childhood growing up in rural Pennsylvania with a younger sister named Luhana and a brother named Joe. When Tammy was in her teens, the family moved to Virginia. At the age of 16 in 1989, Tammy got married to her high school sweetheart, and they quickly had three children. Um, She was already the mother of one baby, so she had four children in total. And Tammy loved her kids. She was a great mom. She worked very hard to make sure that they had good things and that, you know, things were going well for them. However, marriages don't always survive, and in 2003, Tammy did get divorced from her husband. And she struggled a lot after this divorce. It was very hard to take care of four children financially. And sadly, in 2004, Tammy made a very tough decision to let her youngest daughter, Cassie, move to Arizona to live with her sister, Luhana. In 2005, Tammy, you know, she'd really been struggling while she was living in Virginia And she called her parents and her brother and sister, and they supported her and they helped her get, you know, the money to move with her youngest son, Jacob, to live in Arizona. And for the first few months when she was there, she did live with her sister, Luhana. 
that's a super tough decision, I know. And as a mother, I know she probably had to be heartbroken that she was needing so much help. But the move to Arizona was a new beginning for Tammy. Shortly after moving to Arizona, Tammy met Stephen Duffy at a bar when she was out with friends. She was having like a girls' night out. Um, Stephen had been in the Navy, and but he was not. He had been discharged. They hit it off right away, and they began dating immediately. And Tammy's family really loved Stephen. They felt like he was very good for her, and that he definitely wanted to take. You know, he was like good for Tammy. He wanted to take care of her. He loved her children. Um, they really felt like the relationship was a good one for Tammy. Stephen worked for a company called PuroClean, and I looked them up on the internet and found this description on their website, and it said, PuroClean is a leader in property emergency services. We help families and businesses overcome the devastation left behind after a flood, fire, mold, or whatever events that resulted in property damage. And their company slogan is the paramedics of property damage. So Stephen helped Tammy get hired on to this company, and they absolutely loved that they got to work together. After Tammy had started working for PuraClean, she and Stephen went to Louisiana to help with the restoration after Hurricane Katrina that occurred in August of 2005. Tammy told her family that she really enjoyed what her work represented. She loved helping families be restored after a disaster. But even though she enjoyed her job, not everything was great. Tammy did not love the environment at the PuraClean offices, especially when she had to interact with her boss, William Miller. She felt like he picked on her and he singled her out with negative comments and attention a lot, but she, she really loved working with Stephen and she was willing to put up with the toxic work environment when she had to be at the offices. In late 2005, Tammy and Stephen found a house in Mesa, Arizona, and they moved there with Tammy's two kids, Cassie, who was 15, and Jacob, who was 10, and Stephen's younger brother, Shane, who was 18, also moved in with them. Every day on her way to work, Tammy would call her mom and talk to her about her day. And she just, she seemed very happy. She told her mom that Cassie and Jacob were adjusting well and they loved being with their mom. In November of 2005, William Miller, the owner of the PuraClean franchise, owed Tammy and Stephen approximately $10,000 in back wages from the work that they had done during Hurricane Katrina. William Miller approached Stephen and told him the only way that he could pay them the back wages was if Stephen helped him burn down his house so he could collect the insurance payout. Stephen very reluctantly agreed to help Miller. He didn't want to do it, but he felt like they would never get the money that was owed to them if he didn't help. And I hate that Stephen was so manipulated by William Miller. Miller knew he was preying on someone who needed the money. So I just hate the way he manipulated him. On November 25th, Stephen and William set Miller's house on fire. In the days after this fire, Tammy had noticed that Stephen was really struggling with something and he seemed very stressed. 
After a few days of this, Stephen could not handle the anxiety any longer, and he told Tammy what he had done. And she was in complete shock that Stephen had taken part in the scheme. She had called her mother after finding out and asked her what she thought she should do about it. And Patricia, Tammy's mom, told her to do what she thought was the right thing to do. Tammy also contacted an attorney and he told her that she needed to be honest and tell the police what happened. And again, I really hate that Miller put Tammy and Stephen in this situation. And it kind of reminds me of the story from last week too. Like, I understand that you want to protect your friend and your loved one, but you do have to tell if somebody committed a crime and you know about it. It's just, it's terrible that these people had to be put in this situation. And so even though she was struggling with this decision and she didn't really want Stephen to get in trouble, Tammy did contact the Scottsdale Police Department about Stephen and William's arson. And when she spoke to the police, Tammy did tell them that she was worried about Stephen's involvement and what William Miller would do if he found out that she had reported the crime. But they assured her that everything would be fine and that they would protect her. After they had committed the arson, Miller had given Stephen some of the evidence from the fire and Stephen was supposed to like get rid of it or destroy it, but he had not. He had actually put it into like a storage bin inside a storage unit that he and Tammy had. Uh, Maybe he was going to destroy it later. I don't know. But so Tammy had contacted the police and so she had made arrangements to turn this evidence over. She dropped Stephen off at a Home Depot and then she left, said she was going to come back. And when she left, she went and got the evidence and took it to the police. On November 30th, the police contacted Stephen Duffy about the arson and they offered him a deal that both Tammy and Stephen would become state witnesses And so they set up a call between Stephen and William to try and get confirmation of this plot, but Stephen couldn't get William to acknowledge the scheme at all. He couldn't get him to admit anything. So they went to Tammy, and Tammy's like, I'm boss lady, just give me the phone, I'll get it done. And she did. She was able to get William to incriminate himself. William was arrested on December 1st. He was charged with arson of an occupied structure, fraudulent schemes, and endangerment. If you would like to see pictures from this episode, please visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com. I always post pictures and important links, as well as listing all the sources for each episode. That's thearchivistpodcast.com. William Miller was able to make bail after the arrest, and when Stephen and Tammy found out that he was out, they were extremely afraid. They tried to really, like, placate themselves that they lived in a gated community. They felt like that was going to help protect them. They also talked about moving out of state to Utah, but they had to wait because Stephen was on probation for his part in the arson, so they would have to get approval from the state to leave the state. That had not taken place yet. Tammy also began carrying a gun on her at all times because she was worried that William would try to kill her for turning him in. On February 21st, 2006, at around 2.45 a.m., 
neighbors of Tammy and Stephen called 911 after hearing several gunshots and screaming coming from their house. Police officers arrived at the scene and tried to make contact with Tammy and Stephen or anyone in the house, but no one answered to their calls. So the police called the SWAT team to the scene. After 5 a.m., the SWAT team entered the home and discovered five deceased people. Tammy, Stephen, Cassie, Jacob, and Shane were all shot to death inside the home. Stephen was found lying at the top of the stairs. He was dead with several gunshot wounds. In one of the bedrooms, Shane was found with a gunshot wound to the head, and on the floor of the bedroom was the body of Cassie Lovell. She was also shot. Tammy Lovell was in the doorway of the master bedroom, shot dead with several gunshots, and in that same room was the body of Jacob Lovell, also shot. Before the police had even contacted the family, Tammy's mother and sister were already concerned. Tammy had not called Pat that morning, which was part of their daily routine. So Pat called Luhana to see if Tammy had talked to her, and Luhana reported that she also had not been able to get a hold of Tammy. Luhana's husband was also a police officer, so she called the Scottsdale Police Department. She asked the police department to check on Tammy because, you know, they were concerned about William Miller. And she said that the police department, they kind of tried to placate her and, you know, just like calm down. We will, you know, we'll go check. It's okay. But when Luhana gave the address that she was concerned about, she was then informed that there had been a quintuple homicide at that address earlier that day. Luhana immediately called her mother's roommate and told her to get in touch with her mom who was at work. And Pat said that she immediately knew something bad had happened. Um, She had been called and told to go home. Luhana and her husband went to the scene and on their way, he was telling her like, don't talk to anybody. I'll take care of it. You know, we're going to go and see what we can find out. So when they got there, he went into the command center and she stayed outside, but you know, being that strong-willed stock that she is, she talked to one of the officers that was outside of the command center, and he did tell her that they needed help identifying all the people in the house. So Luhana gave them pictures to help with that. Officers at that scene were very deeply affected by seeing this entire family wiped out. It was really hard on them to walk through the scene and see this straight-up massacre. Police collected evidence there. They found shell casings from two different guns and then later found evidence of a third gun. Police immediately suspected William Miller when they found out that Tammy and Stephen had been acting as state witnesses. Also, Tammy's family and Stephen's family told police to look at Miller. The same day that the murders took place, police started surveilling Miller. And this was not very easy because they didn't know where to find him at first since he had three different locations that he basically could be at. He had his original home where the fire was, he was living in a rental property, and then he also had the Pure Clean offices. So they had a little bit of problem tracking him down at first. Then he also exhibited behavior that led them to believe that he knew he was being followed. He often took evasive measures like running red lights or making quick route changes with no warning. But while they are investigating these murders, William Miller 
contacts the media, which again makes things difficult for the police because they're around with cameras all the time. So the day after these murders, Miller contacted the police and reported a break-in at the PuroClean offices. He told police that he and several of his employees were being harassed by an unknown person for the last few weeks. He also reported that his secretary had had a gun that was stolen a few days before there was a break-in at the offices and the murders. Eight days before the murders, the secretary had purchased a 9mm gun. She told police that it was purchased for self-defense but she was not carrying the gun with her. Police went to the gun store and questioned the store clerk, and he told police that she'd had a man with her when she made the purchase. So police did a photo lineup, and this clerk picked out William Miller without any struggle. So during the investigation, the newspaper, the East Valley Tribune, received an email from a source calling himself Richard Nixon. It was an email, it came from an email address, not so deep throat, which made me laugh. I, I okay, okay. I, I still think it's funny. Like, okay, if you want to hide your identity, definitely use an old president, an old disgraced president. So this person shared details about Tammy Lovell and Stephen Duffy that were not very flattering. He definitely was trying to mar their reputation So the reporters at this newspaper were very skeptical that the source, they thought that this was William Miller, that he was, he was actually Richard Nixon, but the editor of the newspaper did not believe that it was him. Later, they did find out that it, that this email did come directly from William Miller. William Miller called police on February 27th and reported a burglary at his home in Scottsdale. Miller said that he'd returned home and found that the house was broken into, and he reported that somebody had shot a gun through the window of his bedroom window, and he claimed that he was sleeping in the bed when the shots were fired, blah, blah, blah. So police executed a search warrant on this home the next day, and in the search warrant, it said that they were looking for projectile evidence, as well as other items that may link Miller to the murders. In that mattress where William claimed to be sleeping, they did find a bullet that was from a 9mm. And they were able to connect the evidence that was found at Miller's house to the projectile evidence that was found at the murder scene. What an idiot. Like, you don't think the police are going to see through the, the weird timing of this, but whatever. So he was trying to make it look like all of the PuroClean employees were being harassed. So police also tried to interview other employees of PuroClean, and all of them were very reluctant to cooperate. They did not want to talk about it. But eventually police did get information from several employees that prior to these murders, William Miller had asked them to help in murdering Stephen Duffy and Tammy Lovell. None of them went through with these murders, but a couple of them did actually take payments from him. I call the police, call the police, call the police. If you think somebody, if somebody is asking you to murder somebody, call the police. Even if you think they're joking, well, I don't know. Hopefully they're joking, but that's not a funny joke. 
But whatever. Just call the police. I don't know why you would call the police. Especially if you took money from him. If he paid you money, he's obviously serious. Whatever. So these employees also told police that they had witnessed William Miller using a grinder and a saw to cut up a 9mm gun. Since police were surveilling him, they found out the date that these employees had seen this gun get cut up, and they were able to go back and look at their logs, and they had logged in all of these this trip that he had taken around Scottsdale where he had gone to a whole bunch of different places and now it made sense what he was doing he was distributing the pieces of the gun in trash receptacles and and other places they were able to find the largest piece of the gun in a water fountain at a local mall and they did later identify this piece as consistent with a nine millimeter gun Another associate of William Miller's told police that prior to these murders, he had been at William's home and saw two guns laying on a table. One of the two was a 22 caliber pistol with a homemade silencer. And Miller and the man, he took him out into the backyard and showed off the gun and fired it and said, I can fire this gun and no one can hear it. When police had executed the search warrant on William Miller's home, they collected a 22 caliber bullet casing that was in the backyard, and they were able to match this casing to the 22 caliber evidence that was found at the murder scene. And this positive match of the 22 caliber gun gave the police the probable cause to get an arrest warrant. On March 3rd, 2006, Police followed Miller and his wife to a restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona, and when they exited the restaurant, the police took him into custody. Miller came across as very arrogant and narcissistic to the police during his arrest, which really isn't very surprising when you think about this person that would call and report burglaries thinking that that's going to throw the cops off, whatever. So in March 2011, That's a long time to wait, but Miller went on trial for the arson and fraud case. He pleaded guilty and was given a 16-year sentence, a concurrent one and a half years for the fraudulent insurance claim, and he was ordered to pay $501,000 in restitution. A few months later, in August 2011, Miller went on trial for the five murders. This trial went on for several weeks, and his defense tried to paint him as someone who is mentally ill and suffering from bipolar disorder. They blamed a troubled upbringing and a mental condition as mitigating factors, and they were really hoping to discourage the jurors from giving the death penalty. But the jurors were not swayed, and he was ultimately convicted of the five murders and found guilty on one count of first-degree burglary and four counts of first-degree solicitation of murder. In September 2011, he was sentenced to death. And William Miller is currently housed in the Arizona State Prison Complex. Iman? It's in Florence, Arizona. And the cities of Scottsdale and Mesa supported the Lovell and Duffy families. They donated money and funeral services to help this family honor their murdered loved ones, which is very sweet. And that is the end of a revenge killing. And I hope everyone in my life recognizes that revenge is not worth it. It's awful. 
If you would like to suggest a case or you have any questions or comments, you can email us at contact at thearchivistpodcast.com. You can also visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com, where you can see pictures, read show notes, see our sources, and also find links for our other episodes. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Bye.